listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette. And I'm Molly Ruth, producer for the podcast. In Season 1 of Superpower Curiosity, we're delving into how to get beyond divisiveness and why we feel awesome when we do. To read all about this, check out Richard's recent book, It's a Freaking Mess, How to Thrive in Divisive Times. In this episode of Superpower Curiosity, we're featuring a discussion between Richard and a very special guest. Here's Richard. Thanks, Molly. Yes, today I'm delighted to be talking with David Haddad, Doctor of Education and Professor at William James College in Boston. David is a psychologist and a teacher. One of the things I admire about David is that he's focused on the strengths and qualities that we all have. David is a pioneer in appreciative inquiry, the understanding that we tend to do better when we focus on our abilities rather than delving into our disabilities. He's a member of the International Positive Psychology Association and a member of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy. In over 30 years of practice, David has helped countless clients identify and maximize their individual strengths and resources. David and I will be talking in the digital curiosity room. So pour yourself a cup of kindness and take a seat with us in the curiosity room. So welcome, David. Thank you, Richard. Welcome to the Curiosity Room. Are you drinking tea or, or coffee there? I have my cup, yes. This is your cup, <laughs> your cup of kindness. My cup of kindness. <laughs> cool. Well, David, I, th- I think you know that the, uh, the whole podcast is called uh, Superpower Curiosity, and you practice and teach the discipline of appreciative inquiry, amongst other things. I'd be very interested to know what connection you see between curiosity and inquiry. Yeah, I think it's such a great question. I think uh, I think about curiosity as as uh, inquiry as being a lot more intentional. Like uh-huh. you can be curious about so much, and yet I think as you reflected in your book, so much of what we're curious about is triggered by something external. Yes, the algorithms of the of the World Wide Web and uh, kind of a Google searches, but yeah. inquiry requires a lot more intention. So I think I think that inquiry is something that we can cultivate, uh, and then curiosity is kind of that broad um, kind of meta view that we can be curious about what we choose to be curious about, because we do appreciative inquiry says we move in the direction of what we're curious about. We right. move in the direction of our questions. So right. if we're not questioning then we end up just kind of taking in that, that one worldview, that one perspective, and it keeps feeding us. Yeah, I, I can really relate to what you're saying about the, the web because you know, curiosity, of course, can be great in, in leading us to discovery. And as you just mentioned, it can also be great at leading us into distraction. Absolutely. <laughs> so so I, I'm thinking of, of clickbait as an example. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes it works by getting us really riled and angry or fearful. 
but sometimes it, it works and it's so clever at this by just piquing our curiosity. Absolutely. And, and I have to I have to admit to you, David, that that just recently I, I saw an internet question. And the good internet question was, uh, which is more powerful, the engine of a jet uh, plane or the engine of an ocean liner, right? And I can hardly believe this in retrospect, but I actually clicked on it. Uh. <laughs> and it cost me about five minutes of my precious time. <laughs> and, and I appreciate we're, we're all very capable of spending hours and hours of following internet leads. And so as, well, that leads me to a question to you. Okay, so um, how, how could inquiry uh, help us deal with our curiosity in matters that are not actually so important to us? So say that a question again. I want to okay, make sure so I... how could inquiry, so, so I'm thinking of curiosity can be wonderful and it can also be a bane if, if it leads us into matters that are not really important to us. Right, and, and right. Basically are distractions. Um, yeah. So how can inquiry help us determine which kind of curiosity we want? Yeah, I think um, in, in the work that I've been doing, my colleague and I, uh, we use the acronym RAP, R-A-P, uh -huh. reflect, reflect, appreciate, and practice. And what we mean by that is think of it as kind of a circular versus linear. And what we, what we, we want to communicate by that, the first step is to remember that, I, that I'm, I have to be thinking. I have to be a thinking human being. Like, right. where am I? Where am I going? What am I interested in? And so once we reflect on that, then the next one is to, well, what do I want in this moment? How do we appreciate more of what it is that we want? I want to be attentional. I want to be kind, whatever it might be. Right. Um, and the final one is how do we practice it? How do we practice that in an embodied way? So I think about kind of your question that unless I know that the World Wide Web and all the information that's out there is kind of has the capacity to kind of take me away. Yeah. To then I'm going to be just a victim of that. But once I recognize that, then I have the moments as you had, which is, oh, I catch myself, I caught myself. Right, right. The fact that we do it is not the problem. The question is, how do we catch ourselves? Yes. So we can be more intentional and cultivate that muscle. So that's great. So just take me through with, with the wrap. So I got the reflection part. So I reflect and, and, I, and I recognize that I, I got caught by that little, yeah. little clickbait. So and yes. so what, how, how do I fit in the, the appreciate? Well, we appreciate is, well, what qualities, given that I'm a thinking human being, what qualities do I want to bring to that moment? What are the qualities of attention, the, qual the character strengths or virtues that I want to bring to that oh, moment? Right, okay. And then the practice is, how do I then practice those in this moment? Right. How do I practice that in a meeting, in a classroom, in a contentious, as you kind of point out in your book, and kind of in a contentious family gathering where people are talking about politics. What is my goal? Because otherwise, if people are like me, I'm just going to react to the what's happening out there. I'm in the moment. Right. I'm ahead of my skis. And so I want to be right. able to kind of practice. So, so uh, just, just going back to the appreciation, I'm, I'm still on the World Wide Web, okay? Um, so if I'm, uh, if I'm thinking about what I appreciate, um, then I'm, I'm going to be thinking of, okay, uh, what are the qualities in myself that I appreciate? Yes. And, and so one of the qualities might be, I'm just uh, thinking this through right now, one of the qualities might be um, 
a determination to reach a certain goal. And that, that, that determination, which is a very useful quality to have, um, would make me think that maybe I don't want to be distracted. Yes, yes. Is that the kind of thing you mean? Yes, actually that when, when in, in my practice of appreciative inquiry, what we, my colleague and I have done is that we've incorporated the values in action survey, which is character strengths. Right. And if you're not, and so that just to kind of a quick summary of that, though, the character strengths and virtues were created by Martin Seligman and Christopher Peterson. Yes. And what they are is a kind of the, the, the counter to the, the diagnostic and statistical manual, which is about deficits. This is only about strengths. Yes. In order for it to be included, it had to be recognized by all cultures as a value. Yes. Right. So once we start appreciating those values, it's more like a loving kindness. We're kind of recognizing those qualities in ourselves and it opens us up and we feel positive and we bring that to the moment. Yeah, I'm a big fan of looking at our our character strengths. And and, uh, it's uh, it's so interesting because as a psychiatrist, I was, of course, taught to look at deficits. And um, I know there's sometimes some value in, in doing that. There's some value in, in knowing what's wrong. However, the, the balance seems to have gone very awry in our society of, of looking in what's wrong, judging what's wrong, getting caught in what's wrong, and then believing that we are nothing but what's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, 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 in psychology where I'm sort of teaching in graduate schools, there's so much is based on Kind of evidence-based practice yes and everybody's doing this kind of manualized which is based on kind of the medical model in some ways and so yes. it's hard to escape from that unless you're really intentional yes exactly and it's, it's just interesting that you say evidence-based because um that phrase uh can be used uh as, as i think you're implying but that can be uh, that can be used as a kind of catch-all phrase but it often actually contains its own bias Totally, space may may be uh, generically biased towards finding what's wrong. Yes, yes. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that in science we talk about that as epistemology, right? That we all have a worldview, and I think the scientific worldview as you described is the deficit model. We're going to find what's wrong. We're going to fix it, Um, as opposed to maybe. A lot of the things that we think about, like mental illness, isn't wrong per se, but something people have to learn to deal with, and they can bring their strengths and qualities to that and mitigate the impact of whatever the challenges that they're facing. Yeah. So, so David, how, how do you help people uh, find their strengths? How do you, how do you help them recognize them, and then how do you help them um, use them? I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, I think the basic kind of premise is that character strengths emerge during times of adversity. And so, thank goodness, we all have plenty of times of adversity. So <laughs> right. it really is a flip, right, that people are flipping. They think about the adversity and they remember the, the, the deficit story. Oh, my God, my parents were this way or I went through that experience. Yeah. But the, re- the reality is you're here telling the story. You're a survivor. How did you do that? In spite of all that happened to you, how did you survive? What qualities did you draw on? And then most people have a story yeah. about that if you give them some space to do that. Uh, but that is the reflect again, right? They again drop down into, oh yeah, 
I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. 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 Essentially, it, it reminds me of, a, of a, something I, I heard about Milton Erickson, the, the hypnotist. Oh, yes. And, and, and uh, pe- people would sometimes say things to him like, uh, my mother never gave me any love, which is deficit thinking. And he would say, okay, so tell me one time when your mother did give you love. Let's focus on that. Yeah. And then you'd hypnotize them and then they'd go right into that. And then this person would have this beautiful memory, usually. Uh, it was so, so powerful. And, and uh, reading that really changed my view as, as, a, as a psychiatrist and, and thinking, wait a minute, what am I doing here? I, I need to be focusing on what works. <laughs> let's, exactly. let's, let's go this way, you know. <laughs> so, uh, that, yeah, that was fascinating to me. Yeah, I think that's more challenging. We talk about it in sort of, kind of psychology and medicine in your book, it's more about the kind of the larger view about like politics. Yes. Like we're embedded in this larger discourse yes. about politics and oftentimes we don't even know it. We're just in it. Yes. We're swimming in the waves. And I think that uh, uh, what I like, what I appreciated about your book, it kind of invites us to consider, well, how do we want to shape this conversation? Yes. We have the power to do that, but many of us don't think about it that power. And if we do, the only way we can think about it is to take a position. Yes. Polarized position, which then kind of fuels more of what we don't want. Yes. Well, you just, you just, I just thought of something actually, because you're talking about deficit thinking. So that kind of politics is also deficit thinking, because if you're thinking of them as the enemy, you're thinking of how bad they are, how horrendous they are, how terrible they are. And so you've got all these enemy images going through your mind. And that is a form of deficit thinking rather than thinking, um, okay, what we, can we do to make this better? Yeah. What, we, what, what is our goal? What do, we, what do we want to achieve? Absolutely. It's, yeah. It seems like such a huge challenge, particularly when I kind of think about what's happening in the country and in the world. And yet it has to begin, as your book sort of reminds us, it has to begin with individuals. It's not like trickle down from the top. It has to, in some ways, bubble up. Yes. Bottom. Yeah. Yes, and and we pretty well know that it doesn't work to uh, to wait for the top to do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Because some of them are, are very interested in keeping their power. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's what what I think really is so um, kind of intriguing about positive psychology and appreciative inquiry. Positive psychology focuses on the study, the scientific study of um, what gives meaning to life, but also the institutions. How do we create a positive institution that's trying to help people to become kind of more skilled at being able to be in a position of influence, whether it's practitioners of psychology or law or whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that in in the last uh, episode of my podcast, um, I read from my book on the subject uh, how divisive emotions can save or ruin your life. And, you know, I made the point that if you're running away from a lion uh, that wants to eat you, your fear and your anger can be really useful because they they give you tremendous energy to either fight better or to run away faster. So that's cool. Um, but in many other circumstances, as of course you will know, there are no lions and no other physical dangers around us and our ancient responses of anger or fear, it costs us a lot, including 
our happiness. So I, I'm wondering how, how do you train people to go beyond the instinctive responses of anger or, or fear? I and mean, how does appreciative inquiry or the use of the, the uh, character, you know, your character assets, how, how do you get there? How do you get people there beyond their anger and their fear? Well, I think with, um, as a teacher, what we do is we kind of introduce what we think about as kind of a boundary profile. Like each, each student brings in their own history. Right. And so we spend a lot of time on what we think about as the self of the therapist. Well, who are you in there and what is your tendencies to react? And we use kind of family history, genograms, and many of these things are kind of unconscious, yes. right? unconscious bias, all of those kind of things. And so yeah. when we invite people to pay attention, and then when we have simulations and people are kind of reacting in a role play session and they react in a certain way, we might stop the, the process and say, okay, why did you do that? Why, what informed that decision that you just made? Right. And many people don't have a story about that, but when we pull up their genogram and look at their history and they spend time delving in it, they can see why they reacted in that way or why they focused their question in a particular way. And I think uh, with um, excuse, uh, excuse me, does that, does that just interrupt you for a moment? Does that also does that include uh, seeing their tendency to fear or to, or to anger? Yes, yes, it, seeing their tendency to anger. And so to counter that, we give everybody the values and action survey. At least I do in my class. Yeah. But I want people to know what their strengths are. And so when it, it then when we talk about, well, how do you stop from being reactive to this client that reminds you of your mother right? or that reminds you of some sort of negative experience in your life? Well, then they need to be able to cultivate certain qualities. And, and as you said, in the example of Milton Erickson, everybody has an experience because that's the beauty of the character strengths. It's not like you don't have them. We all have all 24. Yeah. And it's not like they're even true, but they give us a lexicon, a language for being able to talk about it, which then gives us control some control. And so then we can say, well, what, think about that one time, as you described in the Milton Erickson, where you were able to resist that. How did you do that? Well, I, I was patient or I was, right. you know, whatever it might be. And yeah. then we can use that quality to help them. That That's cool. I just, yeah. just as you mentioned Milton Erickson again, I, I just remember something else, which was that sometimes uh, he would say, okay, so remember a time when your mother did love you. And the client would say, there weren't any times. I don't remember any. And so he would say, I love this. He would say, oh, so make it up. Uh, imagine it. If you can't imagine it, Im uh, think of a, a time when you saw it in a movie or you saw it in somebody else. Focus on that. And I remember, so I, I remember reading this, right? And at, about two weeks later, I happened to see a client who said exactly that. He couldn't remember a time when his mother loved him. So I, I said, so make it up. And I just followed Milton Erickson's example. And the guy, you know, he started to, to cry because he was just very moved by his mother's love. And as soon as he did that, the emotional memory came up of the times when his mother did love him. It's so interesting. So he convinced himself in his mind his mother never loved him. But as soon as he connected with his mother through his imagination, then he was able to remember a time when his mother loved him. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and his anger just, just evaporated. It was, it was really very beautiful. Yeah. And I was very grateful to Milton Erickson. <laughs> yes. 
And, and what positive psychology has done has demonstrated with the discovery of neuroplasticity, right? That, yes. that memory serves as much of a purpose as the actual experience, right? That being able to feel that love yes. kind of opens up those pathways and makes those connections where a person is more likely to be able to kind of connect to that again in their life. So they can cultivate that experience to get more of what they want by recognizing how their brain works and how they're reactive and, and how we are all sort of victims of our environment, if you will, or, or agents of our environment. Yeah. So, so could we say then that appreciative inquiry and positive psychology could, uh, helps lead you from the limbic emotional circuitry into the, into the uh, intelligent cerebral forebrain? Yeah, I, I think you could say that. I think you could. And, I, and I, think, I think it also like kind of speaks to what in kind of all esoteric traditions, they already believe, but there was no kind of evidence. People used to reject that as something too airy. You know, well, that's really nice, but that's not science. And now I think that we're seeing, well, that in fact is science. And we have lots of science that kind of is demonstrating what people, sages have been writing about forever. Right. Right. Interesting. I, I just want to go back to something else you said earlier about the people who you gave an example of someone who's angry about something that happened, or let's say uh, somebody reminded them of a important figure who they were angry with, and that anger came up. Uh, what about the uh, forgetting about what the anger might be connected to, like in terms of a particular experience in the past? What about a general tendency to be angry, which of course we all have to some extent. Um, because uh, I remember talking to somebody uh, about, because um, it seems a little thing, uh, that they were resistant to, to math, to, to learning math, because they'd had a horrible math teacher, right? And, and so, and as this person said that, uh, she was actually uh, angry with her math teacher. But I happen to know that, that uh, because I knew this person well, that, that uh, there were many things that uh, got this person angry. And so it was just interesting to look at, okay, how much is the anger related to that particular incident? And how much is it a, a general tendency? And, mm -hmm. and is, I, I find it for myself useful um, to detach the anger from the thing that I think I'm angry with and to recognize that I myself have a tendency to be angry. And, yeah. and that's something that I need to learn to handle better. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great, uh, um, uh, a great description. It sort of strikes me that, it's, that if, I, if I'm aware of, if I'm angry at this person, then I, the, the object of my anger is out there. Yes. But you're saying, well, let's shift that around. Let's put the focus on me, on the I, you know, the big, the, the overarching kind of awareness yes. Yes. as opposed to the object. But if we don't have that, then, of course, we think it's out there. Yeah. Uh, but that's what I like about, I think, your, uh, your book. It sort of invites us, even in this contentious world of politics, to kind of look at whatever you're feeling is in you. Yes. Right? And to create that, what you describe as kind of that open heart, that open hearted capacity requires a certain kind of practice. Yes. Yeah. That, that reminds me of um, uh, the philosopher, the Greek philosopher Epictetus, 
he, he said, and you're, you're going to be totally familiar with this, um, that no one else can make you angry. No one, no one can make you angry. Yeah. It is, it is something that you do within, within yourself. Yeah, I like and, that. And, uh, and, of course, that makes people really mad when they hear that quote. Because... Yeah. yeah, so I, I remember listening to a, a, a talk given by Richard Davidson, who's this a psychologist who has spent a lot of work working with the Dalai Lama on, um, on uh, looking at the very qualities of mindfulness. And he said, if people would, given all the science that we have right now, he said, if people would give as much attention to cultivating the qualities of mind that they do to brushing their teeth, uh, then we would go a long way because it only takes like five minutes, 10 minutes a day, those little moments. We don't, we don't have to be there all the time, but we have to cultivate that capacity, like eating our vegetables. Got to eat them every day, right. you know, and that builds up our immunity and our capacities to live a healthy life. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're reminding me of that uh, research uh, on just simply this is by Seligman as well of, of simply writing down three things or five things that you're grateful for every night and how it, it just uh, uh, is a probably better, better treatment for depression than anything else that I know of actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. The gratitude journal. Yeah. Anything else that I know of with the possible exception of aerobic exercise for depression, but you know. <laughs> yes. Now, if you can combine those, that's even combine better. Combine those, aerobic exercise and gratitude. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. And then have a cuppa to go along with that. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a cup of kindness. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, so um, I, I want, you mentioned the VIA, the Values in Action Survey. Um, and I understand that that's. Uh, you, you can actually t take that on on the internet, right? You can you can you can do that. Yeah, I've, I've done it. Uh, yeah, it's translated into about eighteen different languages. Yeah, and given to about over eight million people around the world right now. So it it has it has a sufficient power to be able to at least be interesting and relevant. It's not yeah. the truth, it's subjective, obviously, but it yeah. it's it's really a useful frame. Yeah, helping people to recognize the qualities they bring to the moment. Yeah. And how, how do we go, how do you help people go from recognizing the quality to, to practicing the quality? Because it's, it's great, it, it is, I mean, I really understand that it's important to, uh, key to recognize you have the qualities. Because maybe many people don't think they have the qualities and everybody, as far as I know, has all of them. Yes. All the great qualities, you know, uh, courage, kindness, joy, um, capacity for uh, compassion, uh, love, uh, you know, I'm sure you can. Uh, so we'll have them. And yes, it's important to recognize them. How do you, what's the next step? How do you get from there to really helping somebody live it so that they, they know it's them? I think that's the, like the challenge, right? So in therapy, you're, uh, and in teaching, we're kind of introducing this as a lexicon. And once people are kind of playing with it, just as you described with Milton Erickson, once they have one moment where they say, oh, yeah, I do. I never thought of myself as someone who was courageous, but there I was speaking up to my boss. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I think that we in our class that we teach a class in positive psychology and over the semester, students pick a quality, a character strength that they want to cultivate. Great. And so, right. So people talk about, oh, for example, courage, that's my 24th. That's my lowest. 
all right, so we're not firefighters or soldiers. So we're not often in the point in those moments where we think we have to be courageous. But as this student described, in the supermarket line, you know, speaking up when she got the wrong change or talking to her mother about a difficult conversation, yeah. that she recognized took courage. And when she did that, she felt better about herself. And then it, she saw more opportunities to practice that. We move in the direction of our curiosity. So right. she started to notice, oh, I could practice this all day long. Right. Yes. And are, are there particular exercises you give people? Like, for instance, we, we talked about how gratitude, you can practice that every night by writing down three or five things you're grateful for. Are there exercises you give for, you know, say, kindness or courage or any of the other uh, character uh, values? Well, I think it, yes. I think, for example, like looking for an opportunity, if you say, I want to cultivate kindness or I recognize a quality I want to work on, uh, or maybe a person in therapy recognizes this would be a useful quality, then we're sort of looking for opportunities to practice. So during the day, you might say, I'm going to take this next hour and I'm just going to look for an opportunity. I don't, even if I miss it, the fact that I'm looking yeah. is the piece that's necessary. So we just want people to start um, kind of paying attention. And if they do that, it's self-fulfilling. Yeah, It sort of feeds itself. It doesn't have to be from the outside. Do it because I tell you it's good for you. You'll recognize the positivity that comes from that uh, is kind of apparent to everybody. Right. I just just thinking we were talking about anger earlier and how anger also feeds itself and basically yeah. anything we focus on feeds itself. Yes. So we so what I'm hearing now is, is we we're moving our focus. For example, this could be an example. We can move our focus from anger to compassion, and the more we do that, the easier it is to to recognize and to practice the, the compassion. Yeah. And the less yeah. tempting it is to fall into the anger. Yes. And I would add, it's also compassion for ourselves being angry. Yes. 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 So that, that circular piece becomes yeah, really crucial. Important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. if we're angry with ourselves for being angry. Yes. <laughs> then it's self-fulfilling. We stay angry. Yes. Right. There's no exit from that one. Yeah. 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 And so easy to do. Yes. Very easy to do. Yeah. And I, I like your point about the recognition because I'm also thinking about the the recognition of um, of anger too, that anger can be so subtle. I mean, sometimes, uh, I mean, I know this for myself, sometimes I am not aware that I'm angry, um, but I'll say something or think something judgmental about somebody. And that judgment is an expression of anger. And right. so just recognizing that I, I, I do find useful because then, then I can, I have a chance then to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think it's, it sort of reminds me that um, if I want to pay attention to if I'm angry, I just go look at my audience, whether it's my wife or my friends. If I say something that is kind of not uh, very um, sort of discriminating, then I'm going to learn pretty quickly if I said something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, having a partner can be very useful for that. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. You, quoted, you quoted John Gottman in your book. You talk about his work, the positivity, right? That five to one he talks about, that five to one ratio. Yes. To get to the historical piece, just said, if you have the five to one ratio, chances are 96%, you know, that you're going to, your marriage, your relationship is going to be a long lasting one. But if you don't have that, yeah. you have one of the four horsemen, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. So that's, that's five positive statements to, to every, to every negative, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's. <laughs> I, I remember that well, and I, I was thinking, well, I wonder what my count is. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yes, yes. That's another great example, right? Just by counting, without even any insight, just notice. If you yeah. start noticing that you're outweighing the negative to the positive, that already in and of itself is an intervention. Yes, yes, yes. Which I think is what your the essence of your book is that it's an intervention. Yeah. Because people once they start. Because you can resonate with the with what you write about it. It provides people. Everybody can kind of fit into that and say, "Oh yeah, I can see how I do that." And then you give some great examples of exercises that people do to cultivate their awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just just uh, a few weeks ago, um, I was looking at a, a couple of little tiny Mexican pots, right, and. Um, and they were really pretty, and I, was, I was, and I was about to say to my wife, Sanchi, I was about to say, oh, it's a pity we gave uh, two of these away, right? And this, this, is a, this is a time when I did recognize that, <laughs> that what I was doing. And so I didn't say it. I thought it, and I didn't say it. And then I changed my, my, my uh, words, and I said, uh, you know, it'd be really nice if we got a Couple more of those pots, right? <laughs> Changed into the positive, and then <laughs> I realized afterwards that the the first iteration, it's a pity we've only got uh, two pots, was actually blaming her because she was the one that gave them away. <laughs> yeah, a pretty we would give. When I said pity that we gave them away, the we was actually her. Yes, exactly. It wasn't me, right? So it would have been a blame of her. Yeah. And, and you know, and she would have had a, a reaction, either internally or, or externally. Yeah. Probably I, love, externally. I love that. I love that example because it reminds me, it's, it's, like the it's like an algorithm. Okay. Right? All we got to do is change one piece of that algorithm or right. we get a different outcome. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, it got me thinking afterwards. And I thought, I was thinking of the phrasing, it's a pity. And what does that mean? Uh, it's a pity to the universe. It's a pity to the world. What, what, what am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> what I'm really saying is I'm, I'm upset. Right? Exactly. Exactly. I disguise that by saying it's a pity. It's amazing what we can do in, in, uh, in, a, in a few words. And, and that we can stop ourselves doing, to, to your point, yeah. by increasing our awareness. Yeah. That, that, I think, is probably the big takeaway from positive psychology and appreciative inquiry that so much of what happens is under our control. It's intentional. Yes. And whatever the number, we can argue about the number, how much is within our control, but we know there's a portion. And yes. so we just take control of what we have control of. And yes. so much of what we're talking about here is within our control. Yes. Yes. And uh, it's interesting. I, I, I totally believe that. And um, I think also that the more we take control of the little part that we believe we have control over, the more we find we actually have more control than we think we have. Yes, I mean, yes. It, it, that also builds on itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, one more thing. Uh, you had told me before, David, that uh, you've, been, you've worked in Kenya. Um, I'm an ongoing project there now. Oh, really? Well, I'm very familiar with Kenya because I, I was... Yeah. My childhood was in Uganda, and I used to travel. I know, to Kenya. I saw that. Yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I'm thinking of of uh, 
I know you're dealing with things like like waterborne illnesses and child marriage. I'm wondering how um, uh, values in action or positive psychology helps with those kinds of issues. Let's 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 take waterborne illness for example. How how could um, positive psychology or values in action help with that? Well, it's. Um... The, the way we've been working with waterborne illness is to provide people with these packets that can clean the water. And so it, it, it removes all the kind of uh, uh, the, the germs that can create cholera, yeah. dysentery, et cetera. But in order for people to do that, they have to believe, they have to recognize the value of, you know, kind of good health and staying in school and all those kind of things. So we begin right. with what people want more of. We begin with a conversation with the community about what people want more. I want more for my daughter. I want more for my son. So we have these conversations in the community where people talk about it and then we name it. Oh, what do you call that? And they give it a name. And then we kind of fit that within the framework of uh, values in action. And we created a curriculum in the classroom that's created by Kenyans to illustrate that in the classroom. So now kids are talking about it. They're going home and talking to their parents about it. So it just creates a kind of bottom experience. So instead of some foreigner telling these people they ought to have clean water, (laughs) they are finding the the, the positive value within themselves and it's in the desire to to actually do it. Absolutely. Sustainable economic development is not from the white man coming in and providing money. It has to be something that comes from the community. Yeah. And and with child marriage, I presume it's the same thing that that uh, yeah. recognizing what they really want for their daughters. Yeah, and also kind of looking at you know everybody talks about even though child marriage is outlawed in in Kenya, right? It still is practiced in some of the kind of communities, yeah. And it's hidden, but once you start exposing it and getting people an opportunity to talk about it, that you find that there are pockets of people supporting it, and now they have kind of groups in the community where people call them if they hear if they hear about kind of a child marriage as being you know uh, kind of in the in the future for a young girl and so there are ways that people are intervening uh, and so it's really exciting to be able to see that but again we think about that as qualities collaborative coming from their strengths what people right. want more of in their life right and and presumably what qualities that they would want their uh, their daughters to enjoy absolutely Yes. Yeah. Cool. David, this is, this is so interesting. I, 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 I would like to, uh, to close with a, with a personal question to you. Okay. Uh, and that is, um, can you say one thing, just give an example, one thing, big or small, that has changed for you personally as a result of your lifelong study of positive psychology and appreciative inquiry? Yeah, I think it's um, kind of, I pointed to it already, but I think as I thought about that question, it's, it really is kind of, I feel felt liberated from my kind of experience growing up of the deficit base, that there was something might be wrong with me and I couldn't overcome that, that that was just the way it is. And so being liberated and then psychology kind of reinforced that. So I feel liberated from that. Uh, and I feel like that's something I can communicate to my students, to my clients, uh, and to my friends. So it's a wonderful experience. Cool. Cool. 
Well, David, thank you so much for, for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. It's been wonderful. Thank you. I did as well. And uh, I uh, totally, um, how can I put it, um, vibrate with, <laughs> with that passion for, uh, for positivity and for uh, really putting our energy into our assets and our strengths and our uh, our values. So great. Well, I enjoyed it as well. Thank you so much for having me. A great pleasure. Thank you. So glad you could join us in the Curiosity Room on this episode of Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette featuring Dr. David Haddad. We want to hear what you think, and we're also putting together listener questions for upcoming episodes. If you have a question or comment for Richard, send an email and or voice memo to superpowercuriosity at gmail.com. It helps people find the show if you take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, so we really appreciate that too. Stay tuned to this feed. Our next episode is scheduled to come out in two weeks, so subscribe now to make sure you catch episode six, The Tyrannosaurus in the Room. Till next time, stay curious. <laughs>